for me, it's such a great reminder that like you can find happiness and, um, and it, 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 it goes back to, there is no finish line. And, um, like you, if you're unhappy or if you're not feeling settled, do something about it. Hi guys. Hi Kenna. Hi Kenna. How are you? It's so good to see both of your faces. Man, what, how, how have things been? You know, not going to lie, I'm living the dream in Montana, so happiness levels are pretty high out here. Oh, man. Uh, well, I mean, it looks like the family's doing really well in Montana. You guys are obviously the snow, um, you know, you and your husband crossfitting it every, every day, it seems like, so... <laughs> You know, I think it's just finding balances and what makes you happy. And, you know, it, uh, let's see, it snowed six inches on the mountain last night. So we're going to head out to do a little bit of uh, uh, touring after work and skin up the mountain and then uh, ride down. So, you know, not a bad thing when the mountain, you can't see it out my window, but it's like all of 12 minutes behind me. So it's pretty nice. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> well, likewise, it's great to see you. Um, it's been a long time. Um, and I'd love to like dig into some of the, de the uh, decisions that led you to where you're at right now. Because um, it's uh, pretty exciting. Definitely very jealous of, of what you guys are doing there. And um, obviously, the past year, you've seen a lot of people um, kind of, you know, taking those types of moves um so i'm i'd love to jump right in with you kenna um you know we we kind of start with our guests at their collegiate experience to you know where you went to school what you studied in school that potentially led you to nike and just that journey um if you would love to uh, start there yeah well i grew up in the suburbs of chicago i'm a runner by trade and I earned a cross country scholarship to Northwestern University. So in the big 10, right outside of Chicago, um, I wasn't necessarily ready to, I guess, fly the coop when it was time for college. So it was nice because I was able to compete as an athlete in and around the Midwest and all my family was always able to come out and watch my races, which was pretty fun. Um, Sports was always a really important part of my and my family's life. Obviously, you're wearing a Cubs shirt right now. Jesse always have been a go Cubbies fan. So, um, and I knew I wanted to um, work in the world of sports. I always knew that. And I started in college as a journalism major. And I always thought I wanted to be um, a sports reporter. That was kind of was my dream, was my plan. And as I made my way through college and through the J school, I started to realize that I really didn't like the idea of journalism because your job was to only share the facts. You couldn't tell people how they were supposed to interpret the facts or feel about those facts. They were just supposed to hear the facts. And I realized, and I'm a rather, you know, uh, dramatic person, maybe just a little bit, but I wanted to make people feel. And so somehow I meandered my way over into um, the world of radio, television, and film. Um, and, and through that program at school, I found marketing. 
And, um, and because we're outside of Chicago, I had access to incredible internships. I applied to be an intern every year I was in college and I never got a call. I come to find out that uh, Northwestern at the time was an Adidas sponsored school. So I think that maybe had something to do with it. But I did have some really incredible internships while I was in school, um, one year at an advertising agency, another year in PR. And then another summer I worked in a sports and entertainment marketing agency. Um, by the time I was a senior, I was trying to figure out where I wanted to go. I knew that it was time for my me to finally leave Chicago um, and just explore another part of the country. And I, I knew that the West Coast was for me. And somehow by the grace of something more powerful, I was put in touch with the ever wonderful Melanie Strong by a um, professor of mine at college. And she and I kind of developed a relationship over email and over phone. And as we know, the power of a great mentor can do a lot of uh, really amazing things. And right before spring break of my senior year, I just, I flew myself out to Oregon and I just said, you know what? We've been talking on the phone. Would you be willing to host me for a day? And I don't think she necessarily felt like she had a choice. So she welcomed me <laughs> and her story is by the time that day was over, I had talked my way into an internship with her. My story is that she offered me an internship um, one way or another. I walked away from that trip with um, an internship kind of unofficially. I was still part of the program, but because I was going to have graduated college by then, it was a little bit different. But yeah, so I graduated from college. And the next day I boarded an airplane with one small suitcase to um, start my eight week internship. And I guess the rest is history. I never left. I fell in love with Oregon. I fell in love with Nike. I was able to be the intern for North America brand marketing running, which would have been, I mean, it was my dream job at the time, having um, just finished a collegiate career in running and being rather obsessed with the sport. So I had the incredible pleasure of just working with an amazing team. Um, Brian O'Connor, Mel Strong, uh, Sharona at the time was the marketing specialist. So it was a really incredible team to learn from and learn with. And at the end of the internship, you know, a lot, and you guys know this, it's been said on the podcast many times, a lot of times at Nike, timing is everything. And as it so happened, they were able to extend my internship for a few more weeks. And then a, um, the marketing specialist position on the team came open. I had to apply as well as many others, but I ended up getting the job. So my first true job at Nike was as the North America, at the time it was US brand marketing specialist for running. Um, and it pretty much just opened up my entire my entire world. So I called my parents. I had them ship out another suitcase of clothes. Um, I think I had to buy myself a rain jacket. And um, and I just, I, I mean, I fell in love with the whole experience. And, you know, fast forward, I think 12 years, I had the pleasure of working across so many different categories from US um, to global women's training, to skateboarding, to Nike kids. I worked in running three different stints over the course of my career. 
Um, and I had the incredible pleasure of just working for and with a lot of amazing humans that I learned a lot of really incredible things from. So, so 2017, I ended up leaving Nike and I had the incredible opportunity to go and, um, lead marketing and brand strategy for Underwood Wine in a Can. So Underwood and Union Wine Company is the state's largest winery. And it was just at a point in my career, and I'm sure we'll get into this, but it was just time for me to leave for a little bit. It's not like I had closed all my doors, but um, I was ready for a change. And so I ran over to the winery and I learned everything I could possibly learn about wine um, and alcohol distribution and retail sales. Um, and I know I'm kind of jumping around a little bit, but I was there for two years. And then I had the incredible opportunity to come back to Nike um, and work in the community impact team, a team that I had always wanted to do work in um, the side of the business that isn't responsible for the business, but rather doing good for the company and in the world. And so when that opportunity comes up, you just kind of say, I'm going, where do you want me? And when do you want me to start? So I had the opportunity to come back and work with them for a while. And yeah, life has a crazy way of working itself out. And this past summer, my family and I uh, decided to cut all ties and relocate to Montana for a slower pace of life. <laughs> and here's where we are. That's awesome. I agree. Well, can we go? Can we go back a little bit to Northwestern a little bit? As as an athlete, I'd love your perspective in regards to, um, you know, you said you know journalism wasn't your thing. You wanted to kind of you know talk about marketing. Um, what was it when you decided like, okay, marketing is it? Like advertising, storytelling. It's beyond the, just the product. It's it's understanding the consumer um, and, and like. How did you decide it was Nike or was it just kind of like Mel Strong came in, did a presentation and you were like, I'm sold? Yeah, great question. I think for me, it all started when I realized that I truly wanted to make people feel. And from those feelings, they can then take action and they can choose whatever action they would take. But I wanted to make sure that whatever I was doing would make them feel feel something so compelling that they would then take, you know, take an action. Um, I had the incredible opportunity as an intern in college to work for an advertising agency that was pitching Heinz ketchup at the time. And so as the lowest rung on the totem pole as an intern, my job was to uh, gather all data and facts and the previous generations of ad campaigns that have been run around a ketchup brand. And, you know, a ketchup brand is, it's red squirtable sauce, right? I mean, many people would say it doesn't even taste that good. But I, my job was to go back and see what had been done around Heinz so that our team could then go and put together, you know, a really creative, well thought out pitch um, that would be different. And as I was going back through all of these kind of 
decades of advertising, I realized that even something as silly and as mundane as ketchup could truly make you feel. And I fell in love with the brand of Heinz ketchup, never thinking that I would need to have an emotional connection to ketchup. So that kind of started it for me, to be really honest. Uh, John, just this idea that um, there could be a job that would make you feel, um, and I, I don't need to go into like all the different ads and um, campaigns that I even just researched on, um, but I wanted to pair that with sports. And I know you guys know as well as I that sports, no matter what the sport, no matter what's happening, can make you feel something so strongly. Um, I had experienced it as an athlete myself. Um, triumph, you know, the victory of triumph, but the, you know, the pain of defeat. I watched teammates come back from awful injuries to become All-Americans. Um, and I, of course, you know, man, I'll never forget in college, even when the Cubbies had this close of a shot to making it to the World Series and missed it. I mean, you feel that. And so I really wanted to tie those two passions together. Um, so to be really honest, I really wasn't brand loyal at the time. I would have taken a job at any sports company if I could get a job. Um, and so truthfully, I was applying to jobs at Reebok, because they were kind of big at the time, and Adidas and Nike, and I was applying to different. Um, I mean, I would. I was trying to work my way into the Cubs organization, like there was no tomorrow, the Bears. But it just, again, timing is, you know, and there's a little bit of serendipity that comes into these things. And uh, just my professor had. Um, he worked for a marketing agency in Chicago that had put on the run, hit, wonder race in Chicago. I don't know. That's, that's going back some time. But if you guys remember back to the, it was the run, hit, wonder, and then become the run, hit, remix race series. He had helped put it on in Chicago. And because Mel was at the time in um, U.S. marketing for running, and he knew that I was very passionate about running. I think he kind of put those together and said, well, here's your email address. It's all I'm going to give you. And so I cold emailed her. And I don't know if she was feeling generous or she just had a little bit of extra time on her hands that day. But um, when she responded, I kind of took hold of that and ran with it. Um, she challenged me. She suggested I buy some books on Amazon. Again, I'm dating myself. This is back in the day when Amazon was only a bookseller, but she had me buy three different books on Nike if I really was interested in coming on board to Nike. So I had to learn about the culture of Nike. I read all three, took me like over a month, and then I called her back and I was able to then call her and we were able to talk about, talk about those books and my experiences and her experiences and kind of go from there. Um, but I think we can all agree that um, Nike is like the pinnacle, right? And so if you're going to set your sights somewhere, you may as well set them at the top. And yeah, you could be a little bit disappointed, but I guess in my case, um, you know, a little bit of stalking, a little bit of relationship management all kind of came together and, you know, got me an internship. And then now, and then it was those eight weeks to kind of prove myself and work my ass off to, you know, show that I was able to 
kind of stay. Um, I know that you guys um, did a podcast recently. I'm trying to think who it was, but he spoke a lot about um, as an intern, you don't just spend all your time networking to try to get a job. You spend your time working your butt off to prove that you're worthy of a job at Nike. And that is exactly what I spent my time doing. I had no social life. I didn't even realize that there were like social activities to be done because I was trying to get my hands on everything and anything. And um, and it was a busy summer. That was back in the day when marketing budgets were big and we put on a lot of big activations. So, you know, it was just trying to get yourself dirty and your hands as dirty as possible to learn as much as possible so you don't let that opportunity go to waste. I think that was, was that less John that was uh, speaking to that experience? I feel uh, like that might have been. I, I feel like it's either Les or Craig, one of the two. But yeah, it's, it's like, that's pretty consistent. Was it Craig? Yeah, I think so. So yeah, yeah. There's definite. We've had quite a few interns, and in, and in getting that experience, I think, is it's really been super valuable. And I'm curious, like we kind of touched on a little bit, but your experiences as an athlete and coming into the company, right? And I think that obviously Nike is a company that was um, started by athletes and people in you know senior leadership positions have that athletic background. Um, you spoke to like how this was a dream job for you as a runner coming into running. Um, like how did you see that though? Like in your role and through all the grassroots projects that you were a part of, I mean, the athlete being at the center kind of of everything that happens. Can you kind of speak to your experiences and, and what you observed in that regard? Yeah. Great question. Um, you know, it's funny, running truly is the, you know, the founding, the heart and soul of Nike. Um, but when I came in to the company as an intern in that time period, the running business was not doing well at all. Um, in, the, the running business was being completely eroded by Asics, Saucony, um, and other really like, quote, core running companies. And a lot of runners were claiming that Nike had sold out. You know, they basketball was the thing. Sportswear was even taking off at that time, or sport culture, I guess it was called at that time. But you started to see a big uptick there. And a lot of running purists were saying that running Nike running had lost its edge. For me personally, coming in, I was still, I was so young and still so much in the core of that consumer that we were targeting that it was very easy to speak from experience and with a bit of passion and not just assumption. Um, and I think that gave me a really interesting perspective on how to stay as close to the consumer as possible because the minute you lose that perspective, it's not you as a marketer that's, you know, in a dark place, but it's the business and the potential of loss that you're about to have. So um, I think for me personally, I was able to take with me a lot of experience and all of my relationships and my teammates and my competitors that I raced against, many of whom, you know, had gone on to become professional athletes or race in the circuit after college. I was able to leverage a lot of those relationships to continue to pick their brain. Um, and it was interesting. It was 
even though I was this, you know, 18, 19 year old teenager coming out of college. Wait, how old are you when you come out of college? 21? Sorry, (laughs) not a teenager. I guess 21, 22. Young kid, though. Didn't know a whole lot. But, you know, my teammates and my managers gave me the floor. And it, I think that set something in me as a future leader at the company that it doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter quote, how many like years experience you have at the berm. Like everybody should have a voice because everybody brings a really interesting and unique perspective. And mine just happened to be, I'm coming straight out of that core kind of, you know, consumer age group with a really unique perspective uh, or a hands-on perspective. And my team gave me the floor to talk. So um, I think that for me kind of allowed me to remember that um, I, how can I be a consumer for as long as humanly possible? And the minute I kind of fall out of that core group, then I need to do two things. I need to spend as much time with the consumer still as possible, or two, I need to surround myself with others who are either closer to the consumer or who are the consumer themselves, the experts with the consumer and give them the floor and don't assume that I always know everything. No, I love that. Uh, and, and I, I love the, the aspect of what you just said. It was like, you had a voice, you were given the opportunity to kind of be a voice, be the consumer, but also understand what the consumer wants to help um, the brand grow. Um, and you kind of said that, you know, as a leader yourself that was developed into a leader, um, I want to talk about mentorship mentorship, and how important it is because I think, you know, a lot of the guests that we have, we speak about, you know, how important it was for them about mentorship. And I love your perspective of like what your experiences were with mentorship within Nike, but also how it progressed to, you, to make you a better mentor or leader as yourself today. Yeah, I love um, that the theme of mentorship comes through in this podcast. Um, I think that you've had some really brilliant, amazing people. And that is a really consistent message is that no one is perfect on their own. No one is smart enough. And there are times that the culture of Nike definitely encourages people to think that they're that smart, but the smart ones know that they need to surround themselves with others to give them advice, especially when they don't know. So for me, um, I kind of saw my mentors um, kind of grow and evolve over the course of my tenure um, at the company. And I think it was more so around just as I learned more, I realized that there were areas that I didn't know a lot about. And so I always was constantly in a state of flux to find those that could help me, quote, get smarter in the areas that I didn't. So I had a kind of a small group of mentors that I, to this day, continue to reach out to. There's kind of a group of three of them um, that I, you know, that I would continue to reach out to when I'm having a bad day, when I need advice, when I needed somebody to look over my resume or a deck I was building. Um, So those are the ones that you just, almost like your cheerleading base in a way, you know, like 
you need somebody to pick you up. You need them to dust you off. You need them to speak honestly and truthfully to you when you need to hear it. But then you also need to fill your life with, and you could call them mentors, you could call them uh, teachers, you could call them advisors, but those are the group of people that are going to um, continue to open your world to new things to help you be better. At least that's how kind of I looked at them. Never in a um, assuming role, but we kind of, you know, I would go out and um, search for people that, you know, social media was something I, I was never part of the Digimob. I was always part of brand marketing, but, you know, we all saw that digital was becoming this big thing. And if you were working in brand marketing and you didn't have that digital experience, what were you going to do? And so I, and by the way, forever brand marketing, never successfully had to maneuver my way truly out of it. And I'm really proud of that. However, I started to pick the brain of some really smart, really savvy digital marketers um, Lindsay DeCarolis was one. I remember she and I sat on a transatlantic flight together and for like 12 hours talked about digital marketing. And I will forever be grateful for those conversations and finding people that are willing to share their knowledge with you um, so that you too can be better. Those are the people that you want to surround yourself with, but not those that want to keep it so close to the chest because they're worried that, you know, letting their knowledge go will, um, will somehow put them in a disadvantage. Um, but being able to share, share that knowledge base just made everyone stronger. So, so long winded way of saying, John, I had my core group of mentors that I would use for more just like that, you know, what everybody uses a mentor, the emotional support, giving me the kick in the pants when I needed, dusting me off when I needed, but then also that group of mentors or advisors or what have you, those experts to help make you better and smarter and make you a better, well-rounded, I guess in my case, marketer. Awesome. I love it. Yeah. I mean, I think that like going back to the team analogy or the sports analogy, it's like, yeah, I think like working as a team fundamentally, it's like, you know, you're in it together. So you're lifting up that entire team to be successful. Um, can you speak to, you know, just maybe like foundationally some of the leadership qualities that you found in your leaders or your mentors uh, in your time at Nike that you've taken with you in this next journey that you've set on post Nike, things that have really kind of stuck with you? Yeah, I think there's three big themes that have continued to stick with me. Um, the first is kind of obvious, but not everybody looks at it as importantly as it probably should be. And that's just this idea of kindness, empathy, and understanding. And I'm just kind of going to group them together because um, you need to understand where your people are. And, you know, we talked a lot about Nike from a consumer perspective, like meet them where they are. Don't expect them to come to you, meet them where you are and take them on a journey. To be honest, we need to do the same thing with our people. Not everybody is going to be at that same spot. Nike is a tricky place at times, um, very overwhelming and obviously very competitive. And not everybody is an extrovert. And so you have to find those people, especially those quiet ones that are maybe super smart, but still not you know, brave enough to speak up in every meeting and take them along for the journey as well. So 
treating everyone with kindness and empathy and having an understanding for all of your teammates is important and paramount. Number two is time. And I think I learned this in the hard way from some managers and, you know, from others in the right way, but it's as a manager, by the way, being a manager is probably the hardest job one will ever have. Um, but giving your people time and not just a little time, but all the time that they need. How many times have you sat in a meeting or a one-on-one with your manager and they've continued to be on their phone and answering other texts or emails? And well, how does that make you feel? Like, I, I mean, Jesse, I see your body even thinking like I, I <laughs> still to my like till to this day, and I I will slink back too. So I made a concerted effort um, when I really started to manage a larger team of people that that was what I was going to spend easily half my time doing, and if that meant taking away from other things at the time, it meant going to the gym. That was a its own issue that we had to mitigate, you know, resolve on its own. But um, you have to give your team time because time then breeds confidence. Confidence then breeds the ability to go off and do great shit on their own without them having to ask your permission or advice or direction every single day. So I really, um, and to this day, continue to make sure that I spend as much time with my people as they need. Um, and if that means our meetings go longer, or if that means we need to go take a walk around the block, if I can tell that they just need to get out of this space for a little while, then we do that. So that's time. And then the third one is, um, I think that the best leaders are the dirtiest leaders. And what I mean in that is that you are down in the trenches with your people. You are not up on a white stallion leading from the top and having them get dirty. You need to get dirty too. And frankly, the best leaders are the ones getting the dirtiest because you're the one there with your people trying and trying and trying again. And I just think that that breeds um, not just confidence, but belief in you as a leader that they'll never let you down. And I think, you know, we've all had leaders that have left to go do other things or um, and kind of left you to clean up the mess on your own. And by the way, there was a lot of messes at times too. Um, so I just, I know that for me, I just, I need to roll up my sleeves with my people and, and get dirty with them. And by the way, that's when the magic happens anyway. And, um, you know, I mean, and again, I think this has been a common theme on every one of your podcasts, but when that magic, you can feel that energy when the team is really going together. And by the way, a lot of times that's like a three in the morning and you guys have eight Red Bulls and you're trying to power through this deck for the pitch the next day. But there's that incredible energy happening because you're all doing it together, right? So it doesn't matter if it's at three in the morning or if it's, you know, a 9 a.m. meeting. If you're all in it together and everybody believes that you're all in it together, I think that's when the magic truly happens. So kindness, empathy, and understanding, time, and getting dirty together. Those are kind of my three big mantras that I live with as, you know, as a leader every day. Oh man, Kenna, those are awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> Love it. I agree. Well, when you talk about that stuff, let's talk about, um, what was your like most memorable, I'll say project within what category that you could say you, you had your ups and downs, but you guys, pushed through it and you guys had some amazing launches 
Was there one or was every other, every position that you had from a different function or category, um, or I mean category specifically, was it just kind of it all had their own pieces of something? I appreciate you kind of setting that question up to let me answer however I want, John, because I, um, one, I knew this question was coming and I could not prep it in advance because there are so many amazing memories of like magic happening when you think, you know, and there are times when you did not think that the magic was going to happen at all. And um, I think though, one of my favorite memories um was when I was working in what we affectionately called The Others. And The Others were a collection of the Misfit Children categories of Nike. Nancy Montserrat was our VP. This is when I led kids. Tennis was included. Uh, Better World was included. Uh, Live Strong, May I Rest in Peace was included. It was just a collection of and Nancy was so smart to brand us as the others because nobody knew how to classify us. We weren't special. We were not funded well or adequately in my humble opinion, but Nancy was able to kind of bring us together as this collection of, you know, leaders in our own right. Um, so even though I was a member of, you know, as the, as the time I was the marketing director for global Nike kids, I don't really think there was a U.S. team or a North America team yet. And we had one RBP person. And so there was, a, it was just me and him. Um, but we were getting ready to um, bring about a bunch of mommy bloggers to campus. Um, this is back in the day when mommy bloggers hadn't yet gone on Instagram. Instagram was just barely becoming a thing. I mean, I'm totally dating myself here. But, um, but two things happened. One, I couldn't plan out this whole thing on my own. I was a one-person show and our RB person, Mike, was out like actually doing retail stuff. And so we brought together a collection of the others and we brainstormed together for my event, even though it had nothing to do with tennis, nothing to do with Livestrong, nothing to do with Better World. This team of others came together Um and one, you just, everybody was throwing out these amazing ideas. And so I'll, I like, I still think about this as just this incredible energy of like, I love that idea. I love that idea. I love that idea. Let's do it all. And then it came time for the actual event and we brought out um, 15 mommy bloggers and their kids. And so the kids went and had this day of Nike camp and the mommy bloggers went and had this day of education and learning. And it was coming out of that. We edited a film. Rio, one of, you know, the greatest external video editors that <laughs> threw on a dime for a really small buck, um, helped us make this recap video. We brought it into a leadership presentation after that to show them what we did for no money at all. And from there, we were given, um, Nike Kids got a whole lot of other money and uh, like funding for the next fiscal. So we were able to like prove ourselves in the process. And I think for me, that was, it might be sad to consider this like a win because we got money out of it. But, you know, that was a, um, it's no currency was how big your budget was. And we like, I think like 10 X our budget coming out of that. I granted we started from a really small base, but, um, I remember thinking like we, proved it with like this group of others, these misfit children, we proved to do something so much more and so much bigger. And so 
that probably was, I mean, that was nowhere near like the biggest event I ever did. Um, but it was probably the most impactful just from a team building and um, life proving exercise in the company. Amazing. I love it. I definitely remember Rio. Um, <laughs> so I have this, I'm trying to maybe sort of connect the dots here because I feel like, you know, there's a lot of category stories where they're kind of trying to fight for visibility and to fight mm -hmm. for funding. And it feels like you were in some opportunities where you were kind of on the front lines of trying to get some awareness around either new categories completely, kind of, you know, these smaller categories as Nike women, you know, started to really kind of take off. Um, can you speak to like just your role in, in some of that awareness and trying to kind of get, you know, those sort of key strategic, you know, categories out in front of, you know, the traditional kind of heavyweights like, you know, basketball or running or what have you? Yeah. Great question. I think um, success for anyone, but especially the littles um, or those like more emerging categories comes by one, it will always start with the consumer and then a really sharp strategy around there. But my learning was that you had to pick one thing and do it really well. And then you had to do that. And then you had to get on to the next one and pick the next thing and do it really well. Because a lot of times you weren't even funded adequately to do everything. And in most cases, if you if you were funded, you probably didn't have the headcount to do it all. Um, and to be really honest, even if you pulled an agency partner on, um, most of the time, the agencies were already uh, dedicating most of their resources to some of the bigger categories. And if they weren't bigger categories than Nike, they were bigger categories than another uh, company across the river. So I think for us and what, you know, what I started to realize was you just had to do one thing and get it over to the top. And even with Nike women, um, when we when we brought together Nike women with running women's training and sportswear, quite possibly the most challenging days of the Nike time I ever had um, because you had three leaders effectively all trying to impose what they thought was the best for women. But then you had one person that was kind of leading everything. And then you had all these little category minions that were trying to do what was best for, in my case, running and women or women's training and women. And there was a lot of conflict, but what, I'll never forget was the biggest win was when um, the team came together to create the Nike Women Instagram channel. And it was one thing. And we put all of our goals around the Instagram channel and how we were going to support that from an e-com perspective with the catalog, um, the, the new Nike Women shop page. And then eventually we turned the Instagram into a shoppable Instagram, but it all centered at that time around Instagram. And so we were able to all focus our efforts on one thing, as opposed to this person's going to do this thing. This person's going to work on this project. This person's going to work on this project. So it was all disparate. We were all kind of working together against one goal. Um, and I think the same thing when I was in kids, we, you know, we didn't have a lot of funding. So we really focused on um, like getting the word out with mommy bloggers. And we spent a ton of our effort around like earned media. And that was how we started to prove our worth. And so I think, you know, no matter, and this is even in my current job, 
you know, you can't spread yourself so thin where you don't make an impact anywhere. And so even though it sounds exciting to build out your brand plan with this advertising and this social and this influencer and this partnership and this event, and if you can't do it all really well, you're not going to make an impact anywhere. So start and put your effort around one thing, kick ass at that one thing, and then let others see the power of that where they want to add on. And now you start to have this little volcano effect. Um, side note, did any of you make volcanoes? I don't even care if you don't have <laughs> during the COVID time because we did a ton of homemade volcanoes in my kitchen during like lockdown quarantine. So we did, well, I'll tell you what, we did a lot of science stuff since quarantine. We did, a, I mean, we didn't do a volcano, but we did a lot of like, there was a lot of, uh, what do you call it? Um, what is that? What is that gloop stuff? Um, slime. Oh yes, yeah, slime yeah, or whatever. Slime. Uh-huh. Yeah. So we did a lot of that. We definitely but, did a volcano. There you go. <laughs> and I, what I like about volcano is that they're, um, it's like a, just a really great um, analogy for a lot of things. So I just, and then I think back to COVID, and even though COVID and quarantine was like a dark time in everybody's lives, I just think about these exploding or like foaming, I guess I should say, volcanoes in my kitchen. So that's awesome. <laughs> Sorry. No, I want to, I want to talk, I want to talk about your new role as the CMO, COO of Revel Real Estate in Montana. What has prepared you to take that new role um, that you learned from Nike that you're implementing now? And, and what if, were, are there similarities? And, and obviously with two different kind of businesses, what are the differences that you're going through? Yeah. Um, if you would have asked me 10 or five or even maybe even a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago, if I was going to be uh, leading a company, a real estate brokerage in a small 8,000 person resort town in Northwest Montana, I would have laughed at you. Um, But here we are. And I think, you know, it's a perfect, another perfect analogy of there is no finish line. You should never settle. So I'm going to Back up to answer your question. Um, We live in Whitefish, Montana. It is roughly the size of Hood River for all you Oregonians out there. Um, It's a four season resort town, but my husband and I, and we have two little girls, an eight-year-old and a five-year-old, and we just found our anxiety and our stress levels just far too high. And my husband worked at Nike for a long time too. And I think for us, like we were just realizing that the stress of work and what we let us stress out, like what we let stress us out, I guess I should say, it was impacting our health. It was impacting our happiness. It was impacting our kids. And I think COVID for us made us realize that, um, oh, and it wasn't just work, by the way, it was traffic and it was I couldn't get a damn campsite to save my life. And by the way, I spend every weekend camping. And when you can't get a campsite, can you feel the stress in my voice. So anyway, we started talking about uh, relocating smaller and um, Bend was still a little bit too big for us. We would have gone to Eastern Oregon, the little town of Joseph. If anybody's ever been out there, it's a darling town. Uh, For us personally, we just didn't uh, feel like the schools were um, up to par for our kids. So we had to find a, we had to find us a place where our kids could go to school and we would feel confident about that, but we could live in the mountains. And we settled out here. Um, actually it was a college friend of mine or a, um, another athlete at Northwestern, 
um, she and I, um, she lives out here as well. And she and I got connected when I was trying to figure out what in the world I was going to do when we moved to Montana. Cause, um, at the time my husband was working for a startup remotely so he could do whatever he wanted and, or work wherever he wanted. And so it was kind of falling on me to figure out what was I going to do? Well, and as we know, timing is everything. And, um, I was put in touch with a broker out here in Montana who wanted to start his own company, but didn't know how to do it or didn't really, he had a vision, but he didn't have the time to do it. Well, guess what? When you work at Nike, even though you work in quote brand marketing, remember I never left brand marketing, whoop, whoop, you still do a whole lot of other things, even though they don't classify it as anything other than brand marketing. And so for me, he shared his vision with me and I was like, I could totally help bring this to life. Like I, I got you. I could write a brief. I could work with a creative to help bring a logo to life. Um, and that's kind of what we did. So we, I mean, yes, my job now is the head of marketing and head of operations for Revel Real Estate, um, a boutique high-end real estate brokerage here. Um, just like Portland, the real estate market in Montana is on fire and there's no inventory to save anyone's lives. But luckily for us, we focus on high-end um, recreational properties, waterfront properties and ranches, which take a little bit longer to sell. So we have a little bit more inventory. But my job is to do two things and two very different things. So I really have to wear two distinct hats. One, the marketing side is I'm building the brand of Revel. So I'm truly, guys, and you will laugh at me when I tell you all the things I'm doing now, but like I am designing ads. Like I am actually designing ads, which by the way, is so fun. Like I don't want to work with an agency just yet because I'm having too much fun being creative. I'm um, taking classes to figure out how to like buy my own Google AdWords, um, I am negotiating ad buys. I'm literally my own media agency right now. Um, but I'm building a brand and I think that's the coolest thing. And, and by the way, like I've learned WordPress, I can publish our website. Um, I do have a team that we're, I get to work with. So I'm not a total one woman show, which is great because I would be really lonely. Um, but I'm learning so much. And I think that thing is sometimes you forget that, you know, especially, I guess I should say in the world of brand marketing at Nike, sometimes all you do is like write strategy and have these really high level conversations, but you never actually do the work. Doing the work is really fun and I'm learning so much. And so guess what? I get to get my own analytics whenever I want, as opposed to having to work my way up the food chain to try to get the analytics and analyze the analytics, whatever it is. So, um, so that's, I mean, we are building a brand and in a, we've been, our doors have been open for three months and um, we've already started turning a profit and I've had to turn away agents that want to work here um, because, you know, we don't necessarily have the space or the time to, you know, to have everybody join. So it's, it's a great place to be. Um, and we're kind of building a culture along with it. So Kelly, the funder, founder, and myself are really building this culture from the ground up. Um, so that's the marketing side. On the operations side, and by the way, this is where I have mad respect for the operational side of Nike and any 
any company for that matter. And I'm not necessarily just talking about marketing operations. I'm talking about the people that like order the toilet paper and estimate how much coffee and water they're going to go through in a month. Like I'm also <laughs> doing that right now. Um, and I'm paying the bills and I'm um, uh, negotiating um, like insurance policies. And by the way, you guys, that's really hard stuff. Um, but again, I'm just, I'm, I'm pushing myself and, um, this has been probably the greatest like journey for me professionally over the course of the last six plus months since I started working, um, to bring this company to life. Um, not many people can, I guess, say like, Hey, I, I built that, like I made that. I like, this is my logo. I actually built that. And, um, and I think that's something that's been incredibly rewarding and, um, equally as rewarding is just building the culture around us. So, um, real estate, I don't know if you guys know, but every realtor is an independent contractor and they work in sales and they want their business to themselves because who wouldn't, right? Like that's how they make their living. We're trying to build a culture where instead of everybody working siloed, you start to come together as teams. Um, we have a lot of former athletes. Um, the founder, funder of our company and myself are both you know, former athletes. And so we pull on sport a lot when we talk about the culture that we're building and that we want to continue to see at Revel Real Estate. So funny enough, even though I left the world of sports from a professional standpoint, we're still using it as the basis for what we want in teamwork and camaraderie and um, and um, just togetherness on a daily basis. And um, and that's why, tend to round it back out, like that's why we have a lot of people wanting to join the company because we're building a whole new model in the world of real estate, something that's really unheard of. And I think, um, especially in a time where a lot of real estate is going really really digital, uh, really digital. Think of Zello and Redfin. We're pulling it back to incredibly personal and focusing on a true handshake, which I know is kind of crazy in the world of COVID, but Montana, we're kind of loose as it is anyway. Um, but it really starts with a glass of bourbon in our bar, a handshake. And from there, we expect to give every client that white glove service that by the way, we know how to do coming from Nike because that's what we did for our consumers at events and experiences all the time. So even though I left Nike, there's still so much of the learnings that I had um, in my almost 15 years there that I'm taking just in a whole new industry right now. And I'm incredibly grateful for the opportunity. Kenna, you seem like so happy. <laughs> Not going to lie, guys. <laughs> You're living the life. You know, I have to say, um, I'm going to, yes. And I think that for me, it's such a great reminder that like you can find happiness and, um, and it, 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 it goes back to, there is no finish line. And, um, like, you, if you're unhappy or if you're not feeling settled, do something about it. I mean, for, for us, like it took a really um, dramatic step in selling our house and caravanning our way across, you know, to Montana. Um, but honestly, like my eight-year-old had 125,000 vertical feet this winter on the mountain. Like that's, like she's eight. 
I didn't get that much, but, um, but I mean, that's like, and she keeps saying like, I love it here, mom. I love it. And mm. as a parent, like that is the greatest thing I can do for my child is, and by the way, everyone's healthier. Um, everyone's tummy troubles have stopped. I realized that was like a massive indicator of our stressed out life in Portland. And it all came from me and then me down to my husband, us down to the kids. And so I think I realized that like, I probably needed it more than anyone. And so, you know, there's that very famous quote, the mountains are calling and I must go. And I think for me, like life in the mountains in a smaller, slower paced of life town. um, Honestly, guys, it takes me like seven minutes to get to work. I do work in an office. I know that's a crazy idea for many still. Um, Again, Montana's pretty loose. Um, but it's just, um, it takes 12 minutes to get to the mountain and then we're at the entrance to Glacier National Park in 22 minutes. So, you know, for me, obviously there's a lot of, um, a lot of the, the nice quote, nice things that we left in leaving the Nike world, like obviously, um, but we had to find that balance. And, um, and I think for me, our happiness and our health and the proximity to the mountains and camping for us. And the fact that I don't need to make a reservation nine months in advance to go camping, um, like that has outweighed the stressors of our previous life. So, but this is kind of 3.0. We always, I joked with a lot of my coworkers and my friends at Nike that, you know, you get, you can start over as many times as you want. So when I left Nike the first time, I dubbed that Kina 2.0 and, you know, or Kina 1.0, 1.5 and came back to Nike. And I think it was like 1.5 and or 2.0. And this is Kina 3.0 and everybody can keep, you know, rebooting. It's totally healthy. So that would be my one piece of advice to anyone is if you're finding unsettlement in anything, whether that's a job or you're not working out enough, or um, you feel the need to do something else, like, you can make it happen. I'm happy to give any advice to any of your there is no finish line listeners that just want to talk about what that means to them. Um, I am by no means a life coach, but I'm just honest. So if we can just caveat that way, you know, I'm happy to share my story with anyone that needs to hear it. Oh man, I love it. And I think that, um, yeah, your story is obviously inspiring. Um, I was not joking and definitely very jealous. I've only been to Montana once. I fly, uh, fly fish there long, long time ago. And it was like one of the most gorgeous experiences of my life still to this day. Um, and I did check out your website. It looks really, really great. So congratulations too on just like, again, pulling all these, these skills out of your, out of your bag of tricks and, and you know the branding and everything it just looks really premium really great and the properties are mind-bogglingly incredible thanks so yeah check out revel real estate too it's amazing thanks jesse kenna um could you give us some advice in regards to our audience trying to get into a brand like nike um i really do believe in the idea that things happen for a reason So if the door is closed now, that doesn't mean that the door is going to be closed forever. So start to fill your quiver with all the arrows that you're going to need that will help set you apart in the future. Um, 
And you're right. Like my path to Nike was a little bit different. I was incredibly lucky. Um, but I also know that I, um, I worked my butt off in college, um, even like hustling to get these internships, none of which were paid. And just even like, so when I, by the time I even came to Nike, I had a resume set. And I know that college students today and young and young people are definitely doing that. But don't get discouraged because you're going to really realize quickly that a no here today opened up three other doors over here that are going to open up better opportunities for you to follow your path in the long run. So um, no path is linear, I guess is another way to put it. Um, but just continue to hustle and fill that quiver um, because everything is going to add up in the end. Because you're never going to know when you need to buy Google AdWords for your company on your own. <laughs> Which, by the way, sounds really simple, but sometimes Google's really hard to work with. So, you know, Google, if you're out there, give me a call. Kenna, thank you so much. Um, just, again, it's really inspiring. Um, loved hearing about your story. And um, just, I think, you know, just the mindset that you brought to the work that you did at Nike. I think we obviously worked together quite a bit. Um, and I think that you kind of spoke to it, you know, in, in some of the correspondence with John and I, but I think that there is just like this group of people and thankfully we've, we've been lucky enough to have them on the podcast that are just really, to your point, very smart, empathetic, supportive people. And I just feel like there is a community that we've built and I'm just really really happy that you know you're part of that group with us and really excited for everything that you are doing and can't wait to see um how this continues to grow and, and develop and really excited for you thank you you guys it was an honor to join you i love what you're doing i um it's so fun to see the names that continue to pop up week after week and i love um i just love that you're almost showing people inside the berm that um, there is a thriving life outside of it as well. And we're all so incredibly grateful for our time inside it, but life continues. And, um, and we just build on the lessons that we had from inside the berm and apply it to life outside the berm, but keep doing amazing work. I'm just, I'm so honored that you asked me to be a part of it and you both look amazing. So keep it up. And when you want to come visit, you know, you can come here. We just got to wrap, Jesse. So uh, we'll be doing a lot of fly fishing on the rivers out here. So okay, yeah, that was definitely going to be my next question. Like, just <laughs> get the bunk, get the bunkhouse ready. John and I are coming. There you go. I can't wait. <laughs> oh, thank you, Kenna. All the you best. Guys. Have fun on the slopes. Thank you. Be well. Bye now. Bye.